Greetings and welcome to the First Timothy Sermon Series here at Good Shepherd OPC, a mission work of Cornerstone here in Houston. My name is Miller Ansel, the church planning intern who delivers these sermons on Sunday evenings at 5 o'clock. Please check out our website at gsopc.org for more information on our evening worship as well as our midweek Bible study. And here is this week's sermon. And you'll see some of the characteristics of a false teacher, even from Old Testament times in Ezekiel. Uh, Ezekiel 13, verses 1 through 10. This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your attention as it is read. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying, and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit. And I've seen nothing. Your prophets have been like jackals among ruins, O Israel. You have not gone up into the breaches or built up a wall for the house of Israel that it might stand in battle in the day of the Lord. They have seen false visions and lying divinations. They say, declares the Lord, when the Lord has not sent them. And yet they expect him to fulfill their word. Have you not seen a false vision and uttered a lying divination whenever you have said, declares the Lord, although I have not spoken? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have uttered falsehood and seen lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions, who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God, precisely because they have misled my people, saying peace when there is no peace. And because when the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash. Now turn to our sermon text in 1 Timothy. we'll find that things don't change. There are still people leading God's people astray. 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 through 7. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love, that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Our Father, we thank you for this sure word and ask that we would give it our attention knowing that it is like a lamp shining in a dark place until the dawn comes. We know this is not produced by the will of men, but that your spirit spoke to men as they were carried along by that very spirit. 
Use it to teach us and reprove us this very evening. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. This letter of 1 Timothy uh, seems to be a summary letter of things that Paul had previously spoken to Timothy about while going to Macedonia. And we were reminded of Timothy's chief charge uh, to forbid certain persons from teaching different doctrine. Our ESV says that they may charge, but the, uh, the Greeks very emphatic, forbid them from teaching false or different doctrine. In fact, these false teachers and their different doctrine makes up a great deal of the book of 1 Timothy, uh, which is why last week, that was really our undergirding theme of why it's important to study 1 Timothy. Uh, I gave you three reasons. One was that we study this letter in order to pass on right doctrine to our natural and our spiritual children. And secondly, I said we study this letter uh, in order to evade the onslaught of secular thought. But the first reason I gave you, which is most pertinent tonight, is that we need to study 1 Timothy to know good pastors from bad pastors. Now, typically, when you read the letters of Paul, he has his salutation, and then he has a section of thanksgiving. Not in 1 Timothy. Uh, that Thanksgiving section uh, seems to be passed over. And the purpose of foregoing a section on Thanksgiving in 1 Timothy seems to be there's an urgency to Timothy's task. It is imperative that Timothy set this Ephesian church in order because the wolves in sheep's clothing are there. Get to work, Timothy. Um, they have emerged and they are teaching different doctrine. It's very important. And so this evening, uh, we have really two simple sections. One, we're going to look at the bad or the false teachers, uh, see what it is they teach, what's their goal. And then we'll also look at a good or a true teacher, as well as ourselves. Uh, because our aim, as all Christians are, not just preachers, but all Christians' aim is to be love. That comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. So first, the charge uh, against false teachers. One of the main reasons Paul is writing 1 Timothy. Timothy is at Ephesus. He is to forbid these people to put a stop to their different doctrine. Well, what is that? Paul seems to actually have invented a word here. You might know it as a heterodoxy, right? It's different heterodoxy teaching. It's different teaching. It's a different doctrine um, that Paul uh, is telling Timothy to stop. So, okay, well, what is that? What is different doctrine? What is it that I'm supposed to be aware of? Paul seems to give the answer in 1 Timothy 6, 3. He says, using the same word, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So different doctrine seems to be, one, things that do not uh, that are not in accord with the teachings of Jesus Christ, and two, things that are not in accord with biblical godliness. Very similar uh, to recognizing false prophets that we talked about in our Bible study last month in Matthew 7. How do we recognize false prophets? 
<coughs> we recognize them by their fruit. Uh, we recognize them by the, the false teacher's character, by their teaching, and by the lives of their followers. Paul's saying the same thing here. We will know false teachers when their words do not line up with the words of Jesus. And we'll know them when their living does not line up with biblical godliness. Uh, and that can come either explicitly or implicitly. Uh, there are groups out there they will explicitly state, uh, for example, uh, all religions worship the same God. Or another group might state, um, Jesus is a God among many gods. Or another one might uh, explicitly state, you're saved by focusing on the good stuff within you. Don't focus on the sin and the bad. Focus on the good. And a lot of that's easy to dismiss as different doctrine. That very clearly does not uh, accord with Christ's teaching. <coughs> there are other times, though, that different doctrine is a little trickier, a little more implicit. I mean, sometimes we have to dig a little deeper. People will say things but mean something else by them. For example, uh, take the statement, uh, Christ died for us. That's a true statement. That's right. Jesus Christ did die for us. He shed his blood to atone for our sins. That's a great thing. Yet, there are groups out there that will say, oh, well, Christ died for us. What that means is, he was just a moral example of self-sacrifice. And we should all be self-sacrificial. That teaching might be true, but that's not what we mean when we say Christ died for us. Yes, Jesus is a great example, but it's far more than that. That's different doctrine, to solely focus on the <coughs> self-sacrifice and moral example of Christ. So we need to be aware of both explicit and implicit different doctrines that Paul talks about. Uh, we must be aware of teachers peddling these different doctrines. They're not in accord with Christ's teaching. Uh, different doctrines are a poison that will slowly kill us if we're not careful. But why would anybody want to peddle a different doctrine? What's in it for them? And Paul tells us a little bit about that. Um, people want to be admired. They think no admiration comes from preaching the gospel. And so they put before the church, these uh, gaudy trinkets of mythologies and genealogies and speculations, Paul says. These false teachers are proud. They forsake the message of salvation for novelty. The gospel's simple. God saves man. That's a great and glorious truth, that the false teachers don't find it so great and glorious. Instead, they want to invent myths and genealogies instead of focusing on the very simplicity of the gospel. And so they focus on myths. Myths are uh, George W. Knight III, o OPC uh, teacher, says that myths are uh, they're false tales that only the gullible believe, producing no value. Uh, not Greek myths. You might read that and think, oh, we're talking about Hercules or mercury or roman myths or something uh, but rather these are jewish myths paul would write to timothy uh, around the time of first or we would write to titus around the time of first timothy and in titus 1:14, he says uh, for titus to rebuke those who devote themselves to jewish myths 
specifically 1 Timothy and Titus, we're probably talking about books like or actual books as uh, the Assumption of Moses. And in the Assumption of Moses, we learn of secret prophecies given to Moses that were passed down to Joshua. Or they might be books like The Life of Adam and Eve, in which somebody wrote all these speculations on what Adam and Eve were like uh, before and after the fall. It gives us uh, Eve's side of the story. You know, if God's side wasn't enough, you can now read Eve's side of the fall. Um, or certainly, this uh, was most likely on Paul's mind, the book of Jubilees. And in the book of Jubilees, we learn things like uh, angels are the disobedient offspring of Seth, who had children with the mortal women of Cain, and that formed the Nephilim. That's, that's not how angels came to be about. That's not who the Nephilim are. Or you can read the book of Jubilees to learn that animals used to talk. Not only did they talk, they spoke Hebrew. Book of Jubilees. <laughs> uh, before the fall, the fall ruined the speaking animals. Well, these myths are fun to read, and they kind of make us laugh and smile. Uh, but to teach them as doctrine, to teach these things as the word of God is blasphemous and it's despicable and timothy is told to forbid such teaching and if it's not the jewish myths that these false teachers are peddling it's the jewish genealogies right yeah, he's told to forbid these genealogies now it's not saying you can't research your family history i find that interesting as well uh, we're looking at the truth for one when we research genealogies uh, but not in this case. Uh, Paul is forbidding uh, genealogies in which they make up speculations of those in the genealogy and then teach them as doctrine. These false teachers, I've already mentioned it, but they would invent stories of the heroes of the past in Scripture. Uh, Adam, Eve, Moses, Isaiah. You can go on and uh, Google uh, the pseudepigrapha and read all about these genealogies. Make up all these stories about angels that didn't happen. But they go on and on. The genealogies, they have no end, right? Endless genealogies. Because when man's given, uh, his vain mind begins to think and ask questions and become curious. And one labyrinth turns into another labyrinth. And there's no end to the way that we can think of these things. Our finite human curiosities will not stop. It's why the secret things belong to the Lord. Right? Deuteronomy 29, 29. We're not given to pry into uh, the mysteries of God and to providence of his decrees and these things. Uh, to do so, actually, what these false teachers are doing is taking the Lord's name in vain. It's the third commandment, right? Do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. When these false teachers say, God said, when God didn't say, they're taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, our own larger catechism states that sins forbidden in the third commandment, there's three that really apply, curious and unprofitable questions, vain janglings, and false doctrine. These false teachers love uh, curious and unprofitable questions. Uh, they love vain janglings. I had to look it up too. It's excessive talking. Uh, to show their own vanity. It's uh, squabbling about vain matters. And they maintain false doctrine. 
You're most certainly uh, breaking the third commandment here, taking the Lord's name in vain. Because these are men, they love to argue. They love to ask speculative questions that not a single syllable of Scripture actually addresses. Things that are hidden from us. We're not given to know. We should be like Job. Rather than ask questions, we should cover our mouths and be silent before the Lord. But men love speculations. We all have experienced this. I know when I worked at the pizza place, there was a lot of time that we could talk as we cut up mushrooms and pepperoni and things. Um, and people would find out, Miller likes to study scripture. And not, they would come up to me, Miller, I have a question about the Bible. What could it be? Is he going to ask about the Trinity? Is he going to ask about predestination or apologetics? No. Uh, hey, uh, what does the Bible say about aliens? My uncle says there's aliens in Ezekiel. Um, hey, Miller, what does the Bible say about angels and demons? probably know how it is. Uh, you can see how these false teachers gain a following. We love those questions. Angels, demons, aliens, UFOs. Uh, you can get a great crowd and entertain them with speculations about the spiritual realm. False teachers still do it today. That's not what Timothy is called to do. That's not what pastors are called to do today. Instead of speculating, we are to promote the good order or the stewardship from God that is by faith. Verse 4. As one, as one great reformer put it, God's word is profaned if it is not properly employed to teach us the way of salvation. God's word is profaned if not properly employed to teach us the way of salvation. Well, Paul goes on, he continues to describe these false teachers in verses 6 and 7, saying that certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law, without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. We've probably all seen a lot of teachers like this, uh, men who claim to be intellectual and say, I know everything, and they really know nothing. Desiring <coughs> to be a teacher of the law, they know nothing. They're seeking notoriety by being a teacher they are proud, they care nothing for the gospel, and it leads the undiscerning astray. Um, an example, about 100 years ago, there was a man, uh, Harry Emerson Fosdick. If you know anything about the modernist, uh, fundamentalist controversy of a century ago, you know his name. Um, but Harry Emerson Fosdick, a well-known, articulate man, um, he was a Baptist that was filling a pulpit in a Presbyterian church in New York City. He was in the papers. He was on the radio. Everybody knew him. Everybody was quoting him. Um, you know, and not just the big churches in New York City and Philadelphia, but, you know, little Baptist churches, you know, in Podunk, upstate New York and Pennsylvania. Uh, and they all loved him and they would quote him. Uh, he was everywhere. Here's the problem. Fosdick did not believe in the virgin birth. Fosdick did not believe that Christ was actually raised from the dead. He didn't believe that Jesus is God. And far too many were led astray 
by this false teacher because they were undiscerning. They didn't know their scriptures, and this wolf devoured some of the flock, and the impact of that is still felt today in the church. So then what is to be done? Well, ministers must not only instruct those who wish to be taught. That's very easy. But ministers can't only instruct those that want to be taught. Ministers must also oppose those who need to be humbled by the truth. And so if we sum up Paul's main point to Timothy about false teachers here, in verses 3, 4, 6, and 7, Timothy is to rebuff the false teachers who out of self-interest mask the simplicity of the gospel via foolish and pointless questions. I'll say it again. The point of these verses in regards to the false teachers, Timothy is to rebuff them, those false teachers who out of self-interest mask the simplicity of the gospel via foolish and pointless questions. Speculations and myths are not to be Timothy's aim. What is his aim? Verse 5, love. The aim of our charge is love. Those that truly long to be teachers of the law, that long to be elders, that long to be pastors must have love. And Romans 13.10 tells us love is the fulfillment of the law. This can be seen quite clearly as we consider the law. For Paul, um, most of the time, almost always, is the Mosaic law of the Old Testament. Not just teaching us how to live. That's usually what we think when we think of the law. That third use, that uh, I need to do this and do that. There's more to it, though. The law teaches us how to live, but it's also about faith. The law is about forgiveness. The law is about love. Part of the law is recognizing that we're sinners. Absolutely. That we have broken God's moral law. At the same time, the sinner saw pictures of forgiveness when the law told us about animal sacrifice. That blood was shed in order for our sins to be forgiven. The sinner could see the blood being poured out of the animal for his sins. Yet, the blood of bulls and goats does not atone for sin. The scriptures tell us that. Uh, the law contained pictures of the forgiveness of sins, but it didn't actually forgive sins. Enter Jesus Christ. right? The one who fulfills the law, who died on the cross, spilling his blood for his people. And why? Out of love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Timothy's aim is love because Timothy's Savior's aim was love. And Christ acted according to love. See, false teachers, um, they have a lack of love. They might say they love you, but it's just a wolfish trick. Right? Their true aim is money and power and influence and so on. Whatever uh, their heart is desiring. We see, we all, at the end of the day, we all have a teacher that we follow. We're following somebody. The question is, is it a false teacher driving me away from love and toward my sinfulness? Or is my teacher Jesus Christ who truly loved me enough to lay down his life? 
perhaps you're unsure as to how to decide whether your teacher is true or false. Well, does the teaching that you follow come from God's apostles, or does it come from human imagination? Does the teaching you follow promote love and unity, or is it divisive? Ultimately, we can say, does what you follow promote the glory of God or the glory of man? Well, now this call to be doctrinal and loving can be quite difficult. It forces us to face the question, how can we obey the command to love without being vague in doctrine and also maintain sound doctrine without becoming coldly orthodox. And on the one hand, we can love without being vague in doctrine. We do need to realize that uh, vagueness or tolerance, we talked about last week that tolerance is the spirit of the age. Uh, Tolerance says to, of course, tolerate the false teaching. But uh, Romans 16, 17 tell us, tells us false teachers cause division. Well, okay, so tolerance isn't the answer uh, for unity. If we're tolerant, we're going to have false teachers. Uh, so that doesn't really work. So doctrinal vagueness is not the answer. On the other hand, we cannot be coldly orthodox. If we read 1 Timothy and say, look, Timothy is to, uh, he's to really give the heretics the what for. And I hate those guys and I'm going to go get them. You've just fallen into the camp, practically speaking, of the false teachers. Because your aim is not love. So it's imperative. We have to balance proper doctrine on the one hand. At the same time, manifesting Christian love. How do we do that? Paul tells us we have three channels through which this love comes. Uh, A pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So the first channel our love is manifested in is a pure heart. Naturally, our hearts are darkened by sin and they are impure. Our hearts are wicked and corrupt. Thus, when people give you the advice, you know, hey, man, just follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart. Your heart's going to tell you to sin. Um, No, our hearts are corrupted. The false teachers' hearts were corrupted. They're polluted with different doctrine. But there's hope. There is a cleansing of the heart brought about by forgiveness of sins so that our hearts can be made pure. And when pure... They are wholly dedicated to Christ so that we can walk in integrity, so that we can walk in love. So we see that the pure heart loves the Lord and believes what he has taught and seeks to love others. So there's a nice balance here in 1 Timothy of the the heart and the mind. Um, We love to have pure doctrine in our mind. We also need to love to have a pure heart of love. We do a lot of thinking with our mind. We need to do a lot of loving with our heart. Secondly, we have love through a good conscience. Much like the heart uh, created good, but through the fall, our consciences were marred 
by sin, so that every person's conscience has the law of God written on it, uh, but it's suppressed. Uh, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We seek to forget the law of God in our hearts. We like to call right wrong and wrong right, or just say there's no right and wrong at all. Um, these false teachers, they had awful consciences. Men who are supposed to be speaking the word of the Lord, uh, but they had no awe of the majesty of God and his word. In fact, they taught against it, and they speculated about things that were not revealed to us. So we need to be careful with our conscience, similar to the heart. Right? We don't follow our heart. We also don't take the advice of the blue fairy of Pinocchio, who told him, oh, let your conscience be your guide. Uh, that's bad advice. <laughs> Don't, uh, unless our consciences have been redeemed, then it might be okay advice. Um, a redeemed conscience is a good conscience, and the good conscience can make an honest self-evaluation of our conduct. A good conscience knows God's law and knows whether or not one's being obedient or disobedient to God's law. So only a good conscience can lead to love and the building up of the body of Christ. And thirdly, a sincere faith, uh, which is needed to achieve the aim of love. The false teachers, they have a mere profession of faith. They're lacking any Christian sincerity. We would say that they are hypocritical. All they do is speculate, and that speculation only raises doubts about the word of God. The true word of God is not speculative. The true word of God evokes faith. It doesn't cause us to doubt our faith. It's a major issue in our area, in Texas, in the South. Too many people profess to have faith without having a sincere faith. So we must do as the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So true Christian love can only come from the sincere faith, a good conscience, and a pure heart. So as we conclude, uh, this passage is a great reminder of two things. One, uh, to look out for false teachers and their teaching. And two, to maintain love in our lives. And how do we avoid falling under a false teacher? Study the scriptures. Nothing is more vital to knowing uh, what a false teacher is than knowing the teachings of Christ and what a godly life is. I mean, Jesus tells us there will be false teachers. It's not maybe you'll run across one. It's a certainty. You will. How will you know? And how will you discern the good from the bad? We know the myths, genealogies, and speculations. They're all very fascinating. Um, but they are some things that we are not given to know. We must be satisfied to meditate on what God has revealed and not what we wish he might have revealed. And what he has revealed is this glorious plan of redemption to save sinners. And those sinners... Um, that believe in Jesus Christ and repent of their sins are called to love. 
to love the Lord our God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that love comes from that pure heart, the good conscience, and the sincere faith. This is very central to the message of 1 Timothy as he deals with false teachers. It's central to our lives as well as we have that dual command to keep our doctrine pure, but also to make sure that our aim is love. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are good to us in that you have spoken and revealed yourself in the Bible. May we be in your word constantly, learning good doctrine, learning your good law, and learning of Christ crucified for our sin. Lord, help us to balance doctrinal purity and love. May love truly be our chief aim in life. And may you continue to hold us up, keeping our hearts pure, our consciences good, and our faith sincere. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.